Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. When I pastored the first church, and I pastored when I was 26 years old, we lived in a pastoral. First house we'd ever lived in. It was a house situated on two lots, so it was a big yard. And about the second year we had uh, been living there, my neighbor up the hill uh, and I were talking one day, and he said, why don't you plant a garden? He said, the preacher before you used to have a garden every year. And I thought, well, never have done that before, and, uh, but, you know, I'm game. I said, okay. He said, well, you know, I'll be glad to come out and till it for you. I got a hand till. And, and he was a farmer, grew up on a farm, so he kind of had a garden himself. And he said, you know, I'll uh, help you out any way I can. I'll go ahead and get the, get the ground tilled up for you. The other preacher used to have it up on this terrace. So I said, that looks good. Let's do that. So he tilled it up and told me the right fertilizers and all to get and work it into the soil. And so I got the soil prepared. And then... Uh, had something I had to decide. What did I want to grow in the garden? So I started thinking about it. And I said, well, I like peppers, so I'll plant some banana peppers, and I'll plant some bell peppers. And then I thought, well, I think uh, some squash. You know, Terry has a way she fixes squash that I really like, so we'll plant some squash. And I'd seen my dad grow cucumbers, and it uh, seems like anybody can do that. So I said, I'll plant some cucumber seeds. So I'll plant the cucumbers. And, and then I thought, well, you know, I really like watermelon, so I think I'll plant some watermelon. So I made some watermelon hills. And, and then I like corn, so I thought I'd plant a few corn kernels, get some corn growing up there. And uh, I thought, well, no, that's, that's, I didn't like beans, so I didn't plant any beans. And tears not too much for shelling them anyway, so I didn't bother with that. But, but then I started thinking, well, you know, i got these things. But you know, there was really no question in my mind ever if I'd plant rutabakers or not. Because I'm going to tell you today how you can keep from having rutabakers in your garden. So I planted it all. Planted it on Good Friday. He said, Good Friday is the time you plant. Now, maybe some of you grew up with that understanding too. So came Good Friday, I planted it. But the next day on Saturday... I didn't run out there expecting to have some bell peppers, expecting to have some banana peppers and some squash and a watermelon, did I? No. I waited, though, and I watered it and waited and waited, pulled a few weeds, waited and waited a couple of months. And and, uh, before you know it, I began to see stuff growing up through the soil. And sure enough, by, I think, August, September, I began to see some banana peppers. And on this bush or on this little thing, there were probably eight or nine banana peppers on this one. And then there were bell peppers. And I'd only planted one bell pepper seed, but I had five or six bell peppers growing on that. And and my corn, I thought was looking good until we had a rainstorm come up and blew it all over. Because the stalks were only about that big. And so I was talking to my neighbor and I said, I don't understand why my corn didn't do any better. And he said, well, because... Corn takes a lot of sunshine in order to make the big stalks, and you didn't have enough sunshine, so didn't do, do you do too good with my corn. And my watermelon didn't quite live up to my expectation either. I think it was about that big. 
But nevertheless, I went through this whole process because I had, through my 26 years of life up to that time, had intuitively understood the laws of the harvest. And those laws of the harvest governed my garden planting. And those laws of the harvest are, number one, you reap what you sow. I wanted corn, so I planted corn. I wanted uh, cucumbers, so I planted cucumber seeds. You know, that was really nothing real difficult about figuring that out. Because I knew through the years I had learned somewhere, I don't think anybody ever sat down and said, now let me teach you the laws of the harvest, but just intuitively I had learned that what you plant is what you reap. What you sow is what you get. Now the second law of the harvest is you always reap more than you sow and in proportion to what you sow. Now if I wanted ten ears of corn, I wouldn't just plant ten kernels. Because I would realize that just one stalk would produce numerous ears. Yet one stalk comes from one kernel. When I planted those banana peppers plants, I wanted a numerous banana peppers, but I didn't think I had to plant one seed for every banana pepper I got. I knew that one seed would produce many banana peppers. And... I would reap in proportion to what I sowed. If I sowed a lot of banana pepper seeds, I'd get a lot of banana peppers. Right? So that was the second law of the harvest. And the third law of the harvest is you always reap later than you sow. I didn't expect to go out the next day and have the banana peppers ready to pick. I knew there was going to be a time interval. I knew that it was going to be a process that would carry forth before I would have the vegetables that I was ready to eat. And I might add, that was the only time I planted a garden. I determined it was cheaper for me to go out and buy the stuff and a lot less time consuming than to spend time for the fertilizer and the pesticides and all that kind of stuff. So, But that was a good experience for that because it gave me this illustration for this sermon. Now, you and I, many of you have had gardens. Maybe you planted one this year. Now, you recognize these laws of the harvest. Now, nobody sat down and told you, okay, now here are the three laws of the harvest. You just have intuitively figured it out through the years that you're going to reap what you sow, you're going to reap more than you sow and in proportion to what you sow, and you're going to reap later than you sow. Now, we all recognize these laws of the harvest in our physical world. But what some of us fail to realize is that these laws of the harvest also apply to the spiritual world, to the spiritual realm. And every one of us today has a garden going. And you're planting seeds in that garden. In fact, you've had a garden going since you were real young. Your life is a garden. And you are reaping today what you have sown through the years. Now, I want to tell you how to keep the rutabakers out of your garden. How to keep those things out of your garden that you don't want in your garden. Now, look over in Galatians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia and he deals with these laws of the harvest. And he deals with them on a spiritual plane. 
That's why I know it's not only true in the physical world, but it is also true in the spiritual world as well. Now, you've heard me say before that I believe God has placed many principles in the physical world because they parallel spiritual truth. And He wants us to be able to see them in our physical world so that we can better understand the spiritual realities. Sowing and reaping is one example. Another is we're born babies and we grow up into physical maturity. Spiritually, we're born as spiritual babes and we need to grow into spiritual maturity. So you have a parallel there that you can see. He uses the term of the pure milk of the Word. Uh, So he uses something that is physically nourishing to our body to tell us how the Bible is spiritually nourishing to our spiritual body. So here Paul picks up in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. I'm going to ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God as I read. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and most of all the obeying of His Word. Now, I want to give you Paul's immediate application first. And this we're going to cover quickly. And then I want to spend the rest of our time on the wider application of these laws of the harvest. Now, Paul's immediate application has to do with giving to support those who teach us the Word of God. That's what he's talking about when he says in verse 6, the one who has taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So he's talking about supporting financially those who teach them the Word. He says in other places, don't muzzle the ox. The labor is worthy of his wages. So give to those who teach you. The second thing he says is, if you sow seeds to your flesh, you will reap corruption. Don't be deceived, he said in verse 7. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. Now, Paul is using the idea of giving money as the synonymous with sowing seeds. Now, Paul says, basically, if you use your money to satisfy your flesh, to satisfy your desire for materialism, to gather things around you, to satisfy the desires of your sin nature, then you're planting seeds that are going to end up coming back to you and you're going to reap corruption. He says, you have money, you have seeds to sow. Now, you either sow them to the Spirit by giving to those who teach you the Word. And he says, thirdly, if you sow seeds to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Verse 8, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, he's not talking about earning salvation or buying salvation. He's talking about eternal life in the sense of the quality of life, not duration. But the fullness of enjoyment of your spiritual life is somewhat dependent upon you sowing the seeds to the Spirit. 
by giving to those causes that advance the kingdom of God. Whether it be those who teach the Word in your presence here at our church, or whether it be supporting missionaries or others. But you, in that case, are sowing seed to the Spirit. And you will reap from that godly benefits. And then he says, fourthly, do not lose heart. Verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You see, because there is a time lapse between the sowing and the reaping, if you're not careful, you'll lose heart and just give up and quit. Because you have to wait for several months from the time you sow the seed to the time you can partake of the harvest, if you're not careful, you'll get tired of the cultivation of pulling the weeds, of, of fertilizing, of pesticiding, and you'll just say, oh, I'm tired, just let it go. And I have to admit, I've been guilty of this sometimes. I have planted some tomato plants and just got tired of all the rigmarole you have to do to keep them going and keep them healthy. And, you know, they just didn't produce. I got tired. I gave up in the process. And Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because he says, in due time, you will reap. Why? Because the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, So then, while you have opportunity, do good to all people, especially those of the household of the faith, those who are Christians. Plant those seeds of doing good, of blessing people, because in due time you shall reap. Now that's Paul's immediate application of this sowing and reaping, these laws of the harvest. Now, I want us to look at a broader application this morning. I want us to look at our lives as a garden. And you are planting seeds every day. And I want you to see these laws of the harvest as they apply to your life. That you will reap what you sow. You are reaping today what you have sown years ago. Secondly, you are reaping more than you sow, and in proportion to what you've sown, and you are reaping later than you sowed. Now, these laws of the harvest can be a tremendous encouragement, and should be an encouragement to us. That was Paul's primary objective, to encourage these Christians to plant the right kind of seeds. But... It also is a warning to us to be careful about the seeds that we are planting. Young people, you're planting seeds. Be careful of the seeds that you're planting because what you sow, you will reap. And you will reap more than you sow, and you will reap later than you sow. And we're going to look at one example of the warning side of this principle, and then we're going to look at an encouraging side of the principle. Right, first, the warning side. If you go to King David's life and take your Bible and turn over to Second Samuel, chapter 12, probably in no other life is the principles of the harvest, the laws of the harvest, so clearly seen as in the life of King 
David over in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now David, as you remember, did not go to war with his army when he should have been going to war. He stayed back and he was up on his uh, terrace uh, one evening and he was looking out and saw this lady Bathsheba bathing. And David's heart was filled with lust and he sent for her and brought her to him and he was involved in immorality with her. You remember she became pregnant. And so David tried to cover up this truth. He said, well, I'll send for her husband who is at war, bring him back and get him drunk, and then he'll go in to see her, and then when it comes out she's pregnant, then he'll think he's the dad. So David has Uriah brought back, and he feeds him and gives him plenty of drink and gets him drunk and thinks, okay, my plan's working. But lo and behold, Uriah didn't go in to see his wife. Because he said, how can I go in and be with my wife when my fellow soldiers are on the battlefield? He said, it wouldn't be loyal to them. So he didn't go in with his wife. So David said, oh, got to come up with another plan. Plan B. So his plan B was to have him killed. And then no one would know who the dad was. And so get this. Now get the depth of this kind of deceit. David sends with this man a message. He's taken his own death warrant. Sends with him the message to the captain of the army that says, put him out in the battle front lines and then call the other troops back and let him die. So he takes his own death warrant and delivers it to the captain. So David's involved in murder. Eight or nine months, this seems to go unnoticed. David thinks he's covered his tracks. He thinks he's managed to get by with it. Only to find out that Nathan the prophet is well aware of what has happened. God has informed him and that God is going to bring judgment on King David. And this is where we pick up our story where Nathan the prophet is speaking to King David. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 12. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little... I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in His sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Alright, here we have in verse 9, the seeds that David sowed. Now let's continue with verse 10, then we'll go back. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Now back to verse 9. We have three 
seeds that David sowed in this incident. First, he sowed the seed of death. That is the sword. He had Uriah killed by the sword of the armies of Ammon. And in verse 9, he says, You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. So the seed of death has been sown by David. One man has died. Secondly, he sowed the seed of evil on Uriah's household. David says at the beginning of verse, uh, God says in the beginning of verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? David brought evil on the household of Uriah. Third seed he sowed is he violated the sanctity of the one flesh marriage relationship. Notice what God says in verse 9. Have taken his wife to be your wife. God refers to Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You have violated the sanctity of the marriage relationship. So those are the three seeds that he sowed. Death, bringing evil on the household of Uriah, and violating the sanctity of Uriah's marriage. That's what he sowed. Now the laws of the harvest says that he will reap what he sows, he will reap more than he sows, and he will reap later than he sows. Let's see these in David's life. Number one, verse 10, Now therefore... God is saying, because of the laws of the harvest, David, now therefore, because you planted these seeds, because you sown this, the word shall, excuse me, the sword shall never depart from your house. The first thing David would reap is a sword which equals destruction and death would never depart from David's house. Now David killed one man, Uriah. So he was going to reap what he sowed, but he was going to reap more than he sowed. The sword would not depart from David's house. More than one person would die. And if you look through David's history, you will see that this violence and, and this murder indeed remained in his family. First of all, his son Ammon raped his half-sister David's daughter, Tamar. Now, what kind of violence is that to have in your own family? And to add to that, Tamar's brother, Absalom, took offense at this, and he killed his half-brother, Ammon, who raped Tamar. How is that for ugliness in a family? And to add to that, Absalom was eventually killed himself... And Solomon, another son of David, killed his brother, Adonijah. So, though David planted one seed of death, he reaped more than he sowed. Secondly, he planted the seed of evil in the household of Uriah, and his household would experience evil. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. God said, I'm going to bring evil upon you and it's going to come from within. And that's what we see with the rape of his daughter by his son. 
That's what we see when we see Absalom, the son of David, rebelling against him and driving him out of the kingdom. Absalom wanted to be king in David's place. And therefore he instigated a rebellion against David. And David had to flee. Also, when David was on his deathbed, and it was his intention that his son Solomon be his successor and be the king after him, while he was on his deathbed, another one of his sons, Adonijah, decided he wanted to be king. And so he got some followers to be loyal to him. While David was on his deathbed, he got these followers to be loyal to him. They gathered in another location and proclaimed him to be king. But David found out, or Bathsheba found out, the mother of Solomon, and they were able to to circumvent this attempt to subvert the plans of David. And this is why it ended up with Solomon killing Adonijah. Again, evil within his own household. He reaped what he sowed, he reaped more than he sowed, and he reaped later than he sowed. And then what about the last seed that he sowed? The sanctity of the marriage being desecrated and violated. God says to him in verse 11, I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. David took Uriah's wife in secret and violated the marriage relationship. That was the seed he sowed. God said, you're going to reap what you sow and you're going to reap more than you sow. He said, you did it in secret, but it's going to be done in broad daylight. Your marriage relationship, the sanctity of marriage in your own wise will be violated publicly before all. Now this happened when, when his son Absalom was in the process of bringing the rebellion against David. And when David had to flee the palace, he left his wives and his concubines behind. That was the process. Well, when Absalom came and took over the palace, he was consulting with his advisors. And one of his advisors said, look, there are people in the kingdom who are still tottering on the fence. They don't know whether to throw their lot in with you. Uh, thinking maybe you're going to just uh, give this a half-hearted attempt and then you're going to, to uh, leave and then David's going to come back and if they throw their lot in with you and that happens, they're going to be in deep trouble when David comes back. So you need to do something to establish in their eyes that you're really serious about this rebellion and you're planning to carry it through. And then they will side with you. And he said, what, what, what should I do? And the advice was, you go and you sleep with his wives and his concubines before all Israel, and they will know that you've done such a grievous thing that your dad will never come back and forgive you, and therefore you have set your face in this rebellion. You have determined to carry it through. And so, Absalom sets a tent up on the same porch, David was standing on, when he looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing, he sets a tent up there, and before all the house of Israel, he brings in the wives and the concubines, and he violates them. And the sanctity of the marriage that was sown with one seed results in many violations. So David reaped what he sowed, he reaped more than he sowed, and he reaped later than he sowed. That's the warning. 
Now the encouragement. The encouragement is found with a man called Caleb. You will remember that Caleb was one of the twelve spies that Moses sent into the promised land to search it out and to give them a report when they came back before the nation of Israel was preparing to go in and take over the promised land. Well, the spies came back. Ten spies said, we cannot, there are jobs over there. We can't take them. We're just like grasshoppers. Now, it is a land flowing with milk and honey like God said, but there are jobs over there. We can't do it. And when they said this, the people heard the report and the people's hearts melted, the Scripture says. But now there were two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, who said, now wait a minute. Yes, it's flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there are jobs over there. But hey, God's on our side. We can take them. We can do this thing. God has promised and God will fulfill. Now we pick up that in Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. That was after the others had said, we can't do it. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Literally, they will be our food. Spiritual food for them to grow as they trust God for the victory. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Believe God, folks. God's faithful, they're trying to say. But look what the congregation does. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. What seed did Caleb sow? He sowed the seed of faithfulness. He believed God would be faithful to His Word. God had promised him that they would get the land, and he believed God would defeat the enemy and would give them the land that He had promised. That was the seed that he sowed. Now, according to the laws of the harvest, you would expect him to reap what he sowed, you would expect him to reap more than he sows, and you would expect him to reap later than he sows. Look at what God says in Numbers 14, same chapter, verse 24. But my servant Caleb... Because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. So God promises to Caleb, because you sowed the seed of faithfulness, what you will reap is my faithfulness. You will come into the land. All the people that voted not to go in never went into the land. Only Joshua and Caleb of those original ones ever went in. But he said to Caleb, not only will you go in, but your descendants will possess the land. He got more than he sowed. He sowed faithfulness, but his descendants would reap the benefits of it. Also, it would be later than he sowed. It was 40-something years later before he actually got to go into the promised land and his descendants possessed it. So he reaped what he sowed. He reaped more than he sowed. And he reaped later than he sowed. The laws of the harvest. And that brings us to the question. What kind of seeds are you planting in your garden? Are you planting seeds to the flesh? Over in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Let me read you the seeds of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. You know, a teenager says, well, it wasn't matter if I go out and get drunk. And I'm not, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. You're planting a seed. And once that seed is planted, unfortunately, you can't go and take it up. That's the difference between the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom. Plant a seed physically, you can go dig it up. But spiritually, once you plant a seed, you have started the consequences. If we had time, there are adults in here who could come up and say, I planted some seeds when I was younger and I have reaped and it has not been good. They could bear testimony to the truth of this. Be a wise young person. Don't think, well, what will it matter? I'm young. I can get by with it. Nobody will know. You're planting seeds. And what you sow, you will reap. And you will reap more than you sow, and you will reap later than you sow. Now, by God's grace, some of you have sown seeds earlier, and you've experienced the consequences, but God's grace has enabled you to make something, try to make something good out of it, and... and You know, I'd like to say God's grace eliminates it, but it doesn't. Forgiveness doesn't eliminate consequences. Now, I wish it did, but it doesn't. You you start a process going. And so, if you reap and sow the seeds of the flesh, that's what you reap. Actions have consequences. Decisions have consequences. And wisdom realizes that those consequences will be in the future and they will be much greater than you can even imagine or figure out. But, if you sow to the Spirit, the same laws of the harvest apply. Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. So the good news is if you'll plant those kind of seeds, you'll reap that. And you'll reap more than you sow. And you'll reap in proportion to what you sow. And you'll reap later than you sow. Plant those seeds of love. Plant those seeds of patience. Do those deeds of kindness. And you will reap what you sow. And then Paul gives that encouragement. He says, look, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Parents, don't lose heart. You're sowing seeds... (laughs) Good seeds in the lives of your kids, but don't lose heart. You keep on sowing those seeds, and in due time, you'll see the harvest. You may not see it immediately because there's a time lapse between the sowing and the reaping, remember? But you keep sowing those godly seeds in the lives of those children. You keep sowing those godly seeds in your life, in your family, where you work, where you go to school. Don't get discouraged because you're not seeing immediate results. Don't get weary. Don't lose heart. That word picture for lose heart is of a bowstring that's being loosened. You know, sometimes you just feel like you just, you know, you just lose it, man. You're just tired. You're weary. You give up. He said, don't do that. Because in due time, just as surely as when you plant that mustard seed that a mustard plant's going to grow up, just as sure as that, if you will continue in your faithfulness in due time, in God's time, you will reap. 
An example of this from modern history is the case of Jonathan Edwards, that man who was president of Princeton, who was a tremendous theologian. Some have said the greatest mind America's ever produced. Instrumental in the Great Awakening. Uh, Al Sanders, in his book, Crisis in Morality, says that a study of the descendants of Jonathan Edwards was made, and by 1900, 1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards were found. And because this man planted godly seeds, here's what we see his descendants. This is what they accomplished. 295 were college graduates. 13 were college presidents. 60 were physicians. 100 were clergymen. 75 were officers in the military. 60 were writers and authors. 30 became judges. Three became United States senators. And none of them became criminals. Jonathan Edwards planted godly seeds in his life, in his actions, and his descendants benefited from that. Because he reaped what he sowed, he reaped more than he sowed, and he reaped later than he sowed. In contrast to that, a man by the name of Max Duke was also, his life was also looked at, and, and they managed to find 540 of his descendants. Now, Max was a shiftless, illiterate, drunken backwoodsman. And of his 400 and, excuse me, 540 known descendants, 310 of them were paupers. 130 were convicted criminals. Seven were convicted murderers. Twenty of them were tradesmen, and ten of those learned their trade in prison. Over half of his female descendants were prostitutes. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. How do you keep the rutabakers out of your garden? You don't plant rutabaker seeds. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this law of the harvest will be an encouragement to us. That we will use it to encourage us to plant the good seeds. To be conscious of what seeds we are planting every day. In that word spoken, in that action, in that attitude. And we would plant godly seeds, righteous seeds, knowing that in due time we shall reap. And we'll reap more than we sow. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted you about some seeds you've sown and you need to come and, and, and confess those and ask His forgiveness and grace. Maybe you're experiencing some of the consequences even. Maybe you just realize you need to start planting better seeds and you want His grace to do that. Maybe you've never come to that place in your life that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know that is the most important decision of all life. Because that determines where you will spend eternity. That is the ultimate seed. Either faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior or rejection of Christ. Will you come and respond if you desire to have Christ as your Lord? To have Him forgive you of your sins. To have Him come into your life and give you eternal life. And reserve a place for you with Him in heaven. 
And he says, all who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you come and call upon His name, placing your trust completely in what He accomplished through His perfect life, through His death on the cross, through His resurrection from the dead, and His ascension into heaven. This is your heart's desire. Step out as we sing together.